What is wrong with the timing of the release of the report? Uh, so thank you so much for having me on your program again. Well, we, you know, we're just concerned that the report um, and the rumors about the report being released and the release of the report happened uh, at a time when students are busy with examinations, you know. And now one might say, well, okay, that, you know, that lowers the risk of demonstrations and so on. But at the same time, um, you know, this is a time when students should really be focusing on nothing else but writing their examinations, you know. Uh, and they, it's it's like it's a culmination of a year's work, and we hope you know we we would hope that the conditions for uh, for their writing examinations are optimal, if you like. Mm. Uh, while I understand that, Professor Bao, what do you anticipate would uh, disturb them? Is it because of the nature of the recommendations of the report that they would find them displeasing, or is it because this is an important subject to them, therefore they would have liked to engage it at a time when they're not writing? I'm, I'm trying to get to why you think the, the timing is bad. Yeah, I think I think it's both. I think it's both reasons. Of course, there are groups of students for whom the report uh, really does not carry any good news. Uh, but there are others. I think uh, for whom uh, you know the, there are some very interesting ideas in there, in particular the idea of the income contingency loan, for example, and others. Uh, and uh, you know, one would one would have hoped that the release of the report would have happened. Sort of the first of September, or or quite soon after that. Mm. Just from the university's perspective, is it something that you think would be sustainable? The scrapping of application and registration fees. Uh, you know, we don't have too much of a problem with either of those. Uh, the scrapping of the application fees was going to happen anyway with the establishment of the Central Application Service, uh, which, you know, which is in the process of being, uh, of being developed and rolled out by the Department of Higher Education Training. Uh, that would have scrapped the application fee, uh, except for a fee to the Central Application System. Um, uh, and, and that was quite a nominal amount. I think it's 150 rand or something like that. Um, the registration fee is slightly different, of course, because that is really a component of the uh, fee structure of the universities. So uh, what it would mean is that there might be some cash flow problem, if you like. In other words, uh, uh, you know, uh, money that would have come in at the beginning of the year would now be coming in uh, around about uh, March, April or something like that. Uh, And that might have consequences, of course, uh, for cash flow. But it's not something that universities can't live with, I think. Uh, I think universities will be quite happy with that, um, with that approach. Not happy, but they'll be able to live with that approach. Uh, and there might be some scope for some negotiation with the Department of Higher Education and Training uh, about how the subsidy is distributed and whether we could make some uh, some changes in 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 that in the allocation of subsidy. There is a proposal that the income contingency loan funding model uh, replace. Uh, Nesfas, is that something that is viable? I, I'm trying to understand what has not been working yes. with Nesfas at this point that uh, this proposed new system would be able to fix. Yes, I, I think there are two points to be made there. The one is that, you know, the, the, the financial aid system uh, as such uh, has been 
I wouldn't say dysfunctional, but has been uh, has been operating below par. You know, I don't want to blame just this fuss for that. I think it's a combination of factors. We really don't have a properly functioning financial aid. Um, I call it a financial aid ecosystem, you know, uh, which uh, we don't have that yet. And that's a bit of a problem. Uh, but having said that, we must remind ourselves that this fuss caters only for students that come from families where the uh, where the, the 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 cap on family earnings is about 122,000 rand, uh, whereas uh, this new model will cater for all students basically. All right, thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh so we're now on the line to independent uh, accountant Kaya's Tolia to talk more about this. Kaya, very good afternoon to you. Good to talk to you. Now, I know uh, that A, you can crunch the figures, but at the same time, you were also uh, very much involved in in the Fees Must Fall campaign. So you've seen the release of the report. Does it translate into what the st- students were looking for, free higher education? Yeah, I think so. At this stage, the report for me it really uh, needs to be analyzed from two angles. So what they are doing now is that they're advocating for a universal loan system where essentially every student who meets the academic requirements to go into university will be able to tap into that funding system. So if you look at where we were a couple of years ago when we took to the streets, one of the key issues was that the existing loan system catered to a very small audience whose family incomes were below 10000 in a month. So when you talk about the questions of broadening access into higher education, the report is definitely a step forward. But then the secondary question of whether a loan system is the best way for students to then pay their to pay their way back um, to pay back for what the benefit that they received is something that we're still deliberating on. And I personally am still not certain that the loan model is the best way to roll out, you know, the provision of of, of higher education. So when you talk about the question of whether it's free, at the point of access, now everyone will be able to get in on the basis uh, on the proviso that they'll be able to pay back through a loan system later on. But remember, what's also quite interesting is that we did highlight that some of the issues relate to the fact that some people who get into the system either don't get out or when they do get get out, they don't earn enough money to be able to repay anything. So what the model does is that it simply says the state must step in and pay on behalf of whoever is unable to do so. So the state essentially becomes the guarantor of the loans that are being provided to the students. Is that something that is sustainable? Is it feasible? Because uh, looking at the high unemployment rates, especially amongst uh, graduates, uh, you you speak about uh, students who sometimes don't complete in time. uh, And uh, the state does give some sort of cutoff date for uh, when they will write off the debt. But can they really do that? Can they afford it? Yeah, yeah, the question of sustainability is also quite a big one. But I think how this commission has worked out that the affordability um, and the sustainability will be achieved is that they're saying the private sector must get in. So on day one, all the banks can literally just put up as many loans as they can. Now, the question of whether enough people get out to graduate on the other side to then repay into that system remains quite unresolved. And unfortunately, if you look at the current trends in higher education, where so many of the people that are going to depend on the loans, which are the students that generally have had very poor basic education outcomes, these are the people that are going to struggle to repay the loans. So you'll find that the state actually becomes a guarantor 
of much more than what it is set out to do. So when you look at it that way, you might actually end up with the state essentially funding all of this anyway. I I mean, part of the recommendations, while it does say that uh, the balance will be written off after a specified number of years, it does emphasize, though, that A, there'll be a no-means test, but also um, that collection and recovery will be undertaken by SARS and its normal processes. Uh, Just speaking to some doctoral uh, students from the U.S. who were here during the whole Fees Commission report, they said, you know, ultimately the state does hound you down for that money and you do pay for the interest. So uh, international best practice here. Yeah, and but I think one of the key issues that we also spoke about when we presented to the Fees Commission is that in a case where the state is guaranteed to collect through SARS, it means that the collection risk has been eliminated. So if anything else, you should see much lower interest rates being charged with loans. So that's probably one one way to interpret why they would advocate that SARS should become the collection agent. Historically, the use of other you know, private service providers to collect loans on behalf of the state or any other agency has not been particularly fruitful simply because those people themselves want to try the profit margin. So I think it's probably very different to what we've seen historically. And that's what is obviously the best example that we have right now of how dysfunctional the state's own collection mechanisms have been. Now, the question of whether SARS should be used as an agent to collect essentially on behalf of private businesses, which are the banks, is something that I strongly advocate against. But of course, the president is now the one that has to make the decision on whether he thinks that's the way to go.